Welcome to Solarpunk Futures, a podcast brought to you by Android Press and Solarpunk Magazine. A Solarpunk Futures brings you short stories, poetry, nonfiction, analysis, and discussion about envisioning and building a new world where humanity, technology, and nature coexist in harmony rather than in conflict. I'm Brie Castagnazzi, the co-host of Solarpunk Futures and co-editor-in-chief of Solarpunk Magazine. And I'm Justine Norton Curtin, also co-host and co-editor-in-chief of Solarpunk Magazine. Welcome to Solarpunk Futures. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode here of Solar Punk Futures. Um, we, uh, it's a really great day for us here today. Um, I mean, you'll, you all will be listening to this a little bit later, um, but today we launched our Kickstarter uh, this morning about five, six hours ago, and it is doing really well. Uh, we already got funded with our first initial goal, and um, we actually, I think just a minute ago, hit our first stretch goal. Um, so we've got guaranteed publication uh, for issues one and two, uh, and we are steadily and pretty quickly marching on our way to having our entire first year funded. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, who knows where we'll be at by the time you hear this in a week or so. Um, maybe we'll already have that whole first year. That would be great. Um, but we are equally excited about the show that we have for you today. Um, I probably should have started by introducing myself. Um, I'm Justine Norton Curtin. I'm the co-editor-in-chief of Solar Punk Magazine. And... And I'm Brie Castagnazzi, also co-editor-in-chief of Solar Punk Magazine. Wonderful. Uh, and we have uh, a great show for you today. We're going to read uh, a nice, fun solar punk story a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but first, uh, we are going to talk with a great guest who we're really, really pleased was able to join us today. Um, they are, a, a, in my opinion at least, a legendary person in the, uh, in the solar punk genre or subgenre. Uh, and a lot of people out there agree with me, I'm sure. Um, they are the editor of numerous solar punk anthologies, including the Glass and Gardens, um, Solar Punk Summers, and Solar Punk Winters anthology, and the editor in chief of World Weaver Press, uh, Serena Ulibari. We are super excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I am super excited to be here and so excited for the Kickstarter success and just that this magazine is happening in general. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy to see more people taking the reins to bring more of this uh, type of more of these type of stories into the world. So thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, we are we are happy to walk in your footsteps. That's why I put those anthologies out. To be honest, right. is so that so that people would. So I'm thrilled. Yeah, it's what it's all about. Is this right? Just uh, build, building the community. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, well, let's go ahead and get started. We've got uh, some great questions. We are basically just going to talk with Serena about their their uh, involvement in solar punk, their history, uh, where they think it is going in the future, and all that good stuff. Uh, so let's get started. All right, um, so Serena, first question. Um, to the best of your recollection, when and how did you first hear about and become interested in solar punk? 
Oh yeah, I remember exactly how um, how I came across this idea. So back in 2014, I went to the Clarion Workshop uh, in San Diego. It's a fantastic six-week intensive writing workshop. I had teachers like N.K. Jemison, Jeff Vandermeer, uh, Catherine Valente. It's an amazing experience. Um, so I, in 2014, I was there, and our class is very international, and so we. In addition to learning from each other about writing, we spend a lot of time learning from each other about the world and just, you know, what is it like where you're from? What is it like where you're from? And um, one of my classmates was from Singapore. And I remember one evening walking back to the dorms, uh, he was describing the biodomes and how there's like a waterfall in the airport and there's, you know, big solar collectors that look like trees, and a, hmm. um, you know, a building that looks like a lotus leaf. And I was just, I had never heard of any of this, seen any of this. And I pulled up some images on my phone to see what he was talking about. And um, so I, I showed him this like Google image search idea. I was like, is this what you're talking about? And I remember distinctly, he said, yeah, that's my hood. We live in the future. And it was just this like instant paradigm shift where I was like, the future can look like that. And, wow. um, and you know, I'd, I'd been interested in environmental uh, issues before I'd, I'd known about climate fiction, things like that, but I'd, I'd always approached it from a more dystopian lens. And so just seeing that aesthetic, having that idea that the future could look pretty like that, the future could look, you know, green and bright and, uh, and all that just really changed the way that I started to think about it. And I do want to you know, clarify that I understand uh, Singapore has uh, some very major you know, social and political issues, and I would not mm -hmm. call them a solar punk society. But the aesthetic is what drew me in. And that's one reason that I will get kind of defensive when people are like, oh, solar punk isn't just about the pretty aesthetic. I'm like, well, it is, though, because that's what draws people in. That's what drew me in. And then, of course, you know, you get the substance underneath. But um, mm -hmm. So that was where I came across the concept of solar punk, but I didn't have a word for it uh, until about a year later uh, in 2015, Claudia Arsenal put out the submission call for Wings of Renewal, the solar punk dragon anthology. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I heard the term solar punk. And so I looked it up, I came across those Tumblr posts and it was just like, it just was connecting the dots. I was like, this is it. This is what I've been thinking about. This is what kind of future I want to live in. This is what kind of stories I want to write. Like, it was just, just kind of all came together. So, um, and I, I wrote a story for that anthology, but it was not picked up. Uh, it was not published in it. Um, but I rewrote it as a pterodactyl instead of a dragon. Um, and then it was later published in an anthology called Sunshine Superhighway. Um, <laughs> And this, my story actually makes more sense as a pterodactyl rather than a dragon. And it allowed me to make some jokes about like fossils and fossil fuels and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I haven't heard of that anthology. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I came out late last year, I think. Oh, wow. Cool. Great. Um, well, so then, I mean, speaking of anthologies, you've put out a number of them. Um, I mean, it's solar punk, but also not solar punk. Um, but solar punk specifically, uh, what made you decide to to go that route and and put out your own anthology uh, in the first place? Um, yeah, I mean, I was a little bit, um, you know, frustrated. I suppose that you know, I, I discovered this cool thing, and then where are all the stories? You know, it's mm -hmm. like it was an idea first before it was really a, a genre, mm -hmm. um, and and so I I, I wanted to. I was I was working on my own stories in this in this vein, but I also wanted to uh, 
you know, use my editorial skills to like bring other voices to it. Um, so I actually pitched the Glass and Gardens anthology just as Glass and Gardens, not no subtitle. Um, I actually pitched that to Upper Rubber Boot Books back in 2015. Um, and they told me that they were, they were going to do a solar punk anthology, but they had, they had received a different pitch that had a tighter focus. Um, and that turned out to be Sunvault, mm -hmm. right, which was the first yep. like, like major, uh, yeah, the big one. major solar punk anthology. So, um, my idea, my original idea was pretty broad and I, um, I took that feedback that they gave me into consideration, uh, when I was figuring out how to do it. Uh, myself after I, I took over World River Press. I wasn't originally the, um, the person in charge of that, but I took it over and thought, well, now I can do what I want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I took I took that feedback into consideration to when thinking of how to like angle uh, the anthology, and I had the idea to do it around seasons. So um, I actually wanted to do both summers and winters. Um, right away, I actually designed the covers at the same time, so the winters cover was just sitting around waiting. Uh, for about a year um so yeah so that's that's kind of my my thought process there and like but but it was the it was the translation of the brazilian uh anthology that really sort of started started this rolling um and that was you know in all these conversations about what solar punk was what it could be you know all that uh, everyone kept pointing toward this, you know, anthology that had been published in Brazil, and it was always like, well, but it's in Portuguese, so I, who knows what that's like, right? And and I was like, yeah, somebody should really translate that and publish it. And it was like this light bulb where I was like, oh, I own a publishing company. I bet I can find a translator, and I did. And we and we of course kickstarted that, um, but it was. It was really important to me to translate that so that it could be part of the conversation mm -hmm. so that it wouldn't be just wiped away because the stories weren't in english um yeah. and i didn't even know if they were the type of stories that would you know really be called solar punk but like that almost didn't matter it just seemed like almost this like ethical obligation to make sure that these stories from another language from the global south like got a chance to be part of the conversation and it seemed like a good good chance to tack on my own stretch goal to do my own anthologies and you know get a little boost there so that's that's what sure. i did um i told myself i'd do the winter's anthology as soon as the summer's uh, sold a thousand copies hmm. and that really didn't take so long so, uh, nice. so i was able to do that do that pretty quickly and then of course there's one more anthology that we've done which is the multi-species cities Mm -hmm. anthology and so that one happened because a researcher in japan had read solar punk summers and saw the potential to add a fiction expression to a big interdisciplinary project that they were working on uh regarding multi-species justice in urban settings <clears throat> so that project took about two years to get together that that whole anthology and it was partially funded by the research institute for humanity and nature in kyoto japan so that was a that was a really awesome experience. Uh, yes. We ended up with authors from lots of different countries, uh, mostly in the Asia Pacific region, and it really focuses on like humanity's relationships with the natural world. Yeah, I really like that anthology a lot. Good, yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, it has a beautiful cover too. <laughs> and I saw that artwork. It won. Uh, Rita Rita Fay is the artist, and it won a. Um, 
some kind of solar punk art contest. Hmm. And I was like, that fits what we're trying to convey with the multi-species uh, cities thing mm -hmm. so well that I just, I emailed Rita Faye and I was like, can we please license this? <laughs> so, so glad we got it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it, it's just, it's really stunning. Um, the whole work really. Um, but speaking more to uh, solar punk summers and solar punk winters, um, those are probably your two most well-known solar punk anthologies. So for folks uh, who are listening and maybe new to solar punk, uh, or maybe just haven't come across your work yet, um, how would you describe those two books and their relationship to each other? So as, as the title suggests, one focuses on summertime settings and the other on winter. And so I did that because I had noticed a trend that interest in solar punk really spiked during the summer and it practically disappeared in the winter. It was like that for several years. Um, and not just solar punk, but environmental issues in general. It's like people were so stuck on the global warming aspect of climate change that they only remembered it in the heat, even though things like the weakening of the polar vortex and snowstorms so big we have to name them like hurricanes. Those are also effects of climate change, um, but they're you know less, less obvious ones. So, so I put out the challenge to writers uh, in, in solar punk winters to imagine what sustainable solar punk society would look like in the wintertime. I also ended up with several stories that um, imagine large-scale global cooling instead of global warming, uh, like a story called The Fugue of Winter, which has humans surviving extreme cold by building a city that's based on penguin biology. Uh, so they it incorporates fats from waste into the city's insulation, and they have these giant feathers that they have to adjust to redirect the winds. Uh, things like that, which I thought was just a really cool solar punk concept, but it takes place in a world where it's, you know, extreme cold instead of extreme heat. Yeah, that's really creative. <laughs> yeah. So, so the anthologies, they each stand alone. Um, there are several authors that appear in both, um, but the, the only stories that are somewhat connected are the ones written by uh, Commando Jugendstil and Tales from the EV Studio. That's a collective of Italian writers that wrote these stories. So if you read Midsummer Night's Heist in Summers, you'll recognize some of the same characters in the winter story, mm -hmm. uh, which has a big long Latin name. I'm not going to try because <laughs> I'll butcher it. Um, but they still they still stand alone. Um, and my goal overall with these anthologies was just to give examples of what these kinds of worlds could look like. I feel like there's not necessarily any one story in any of these that I can hold up as like a perfect example of this is doing everything I want a solar punk story to do. But each of them is doing something I want a story, a solar punk story to do. And, you know, as a, as a sort of mosaic, I think um, it, it conveys, it conveys the, my, my vision of what solar punk is. And I wanted it to be a jumping off point uh, for, for other editors and writers to, uh, to you know, have, have a sort of baseline example and, and go from there. Yeah, awesome. Well, I mean, they're they're both wonderful uh, books and anthologies, um, as is the multi-species one. Um, so for, you know, folks who are listening, if you if you haven't read any of those yet, um, you can head over to the World Weaver Press website and pick them up. It's well worth it. Um, and, and speaking of, of World Weaver Press, um, you're, you know, the, you're, like we said, you're the head of that press. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about World Weaver? Um, like what kind of books do you all generally publish? Um, is there anything you've put out recently that you'd like to talk about or encourage folks to pick up? 
Sure. Um, our next book that's coming out is called Trench Coats, Towers, and Trolls, which is an anthology where authors took the high-tech, low-life settings of cyberpunk and mashed them up with fairy tale retellings. <laughs> um, so this is the third in an anthology series that Rhonda Parrish put together called Punked Up Fairy Tales. Um, the first two were steampunk and dieselpunk. So, you know, all kind of the opposite of solar punk, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but these these punked up fairy tales are good examples of the kind of stuff that World Weaver Press publishes because we're all about the punks mm-hmm. and like all the fun subgenres of science fiction. Uh, and we also do a lot of fairy tale stuff, fairy tale retellings, mashups, uh, feminist fairy tales, reimaginings of folklore. Um, so like one of our most popular titles is called Krampus Knocked, 12 Nights of Krampus, uh, which the stories all center around like the figure from German folklore who punishes the kids on the naughty list the night before Santa comes and rewards the kids on the nice list. So um, that's, that's one of our most popular uh, popular anthologies. It's a reimagining of, of that German folklore. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, so that's largely what we do, like the punks and the fairy tales. <laughs> nice. um, yeah. We aren't publishing. We aren't publishing any novels anymore, but we do have a number of, of novels that we've published in the past. Um, I want to give a shout out to one in particular that I really wish would find more readers, um, and that I think people who like solar punk would like this, even though it's not. It's not quite solar punk, but it's still in the same kind of vein. Um, so, and that is Jack Jet Stark's Intergalactic Freak Show mm-hmm. by Jennifer Lee Rossman. It is a very fun space opera about a planet-hopping circus, which is also working to take down the head of a big interplanetary corporation. I love the title. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a fun title. Yeah, Uh, Jennifer is just a delightful writer. She's in both of the Glass and Gardens anthologies and also has a solar punk story in Hyphen Punk magazine that's called Don Queer Hody. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's I'll fun. Have to, um, I'll have to find it and check it out. I like hyphen punk. Yeah. And so people might also know Jennifer from uh, a viral a viral tweet uh, that just, I keep seeing it come up again and again. So there's some guy made a comment about how disabled parking should only be valid during the daytime, which is absurd, of course. And Jennifer clapped back with this tweet that says, we're disabled, Daniel. We're not werewolves. <laughs> I actually haven't seen that. It's it, it went pretty viral. And, huh? I think I've seen that. Yeah, it's it's been around uh, quite a while. So, um, but yeah, it, Jennifer's just a, a delightful person and writer. And uh, Jack Jet Stark's Intergalactic Freak Show is one of my favorite things that that World Weaver Press has published. Nice. All right, great, great. Um, so we have one more question lined up. Um, so solar punk is starting to gain a lot of attention, which is really awesome. We love that. Um, but it can also potentially come with a lot of challenges as you know, new growing movements do. Um, where do you see solar punk going in the next five years? Are there any challenges you think writers, editors, and publishers in the genre should keep an eye out for uh, in the coming years? Um. Well, I'd really like to see more solar punk stories that engage with a specific environmental issue. I think a lot of writers feel the obligation to give like a whole future history of how we got from here to there. And short stories especially can't really support that much backstory. 
Uh, so giving a light touch with world building um, is, you know, is my, my sort of general advice and let it be really part of the character's experience. Focus in on one aspect of the world and really dig deep into that. So I'm thinking of Marissa Lingen's story, A Worm to the Wise, mm -hmm. which was published in the Imagine 2200 contest. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think that's a really great example of what I'm talking about. So personally, I'd like to see more solar punk that has a, a tight focus on a specific environmental issue and a really strong sense of place. Doing the work to imagine what the solar punk future looks like for your particular community and grappling with the unique challenges of that location. So, you know, and in that spirit, of course, I hope to see more translations, more stories from writers from marginalized communities, more stories that decenter colonialist narratives, all of that. As yeah. we're seeing across, you know, all of science fiction and fantasy, I think solar punk is, uh, is a prime place to really explore that stuff. But, Absolutely. Yeah, I know uh, one of the things that we really hope to do with solar punk magazine um, that hopefully we'll get to do um, is publishing uh, stories by authors who, who, who English is not their first language and, and having both of the both of the versions side by side in the same issue of the magazine. Oh, very uh, cool. So that will be I mean, it will we'll, we'll have to figure it out. It'll it'll make the issues a lot more bulky, but it's online. So that's not really a super huge problem. Um, but yeah. so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll get that figured out. Um, but if you don't mind, actually, just an extra question popped up <laughs> into my head. Um, I'm surprised I didn't think to put this on the list earlier. Um, but you were one of the judges of the, the Imagine 2200 competition that uh, Grist and Fix uh, recently did. And there's a lot of really amazing stories um, that they that made the top list. Uh, and I heard that there was like over a thousand entries or something ridiculous mm -hmm. like that. Um, so, what, I mean, what was the experience like reading for that? And, you know, with, with that massive of a slush and um, and just, I mean, having the opportunity to read so many really amazing stories. Yeah, it was basically the best job ever. Uh, <laughs> so I was I was one of the story reviewers, which was uh, and mm -hmm. the we we went through the um, the big slush pile and then the judges, which uh, were like Sherry uh, Renee Thompson and Adrian uh, Adrian Brown and you know people like that were the were the they only got the top twenty. So oh, right. uh, it was me, Tobias Buckel, and uh, Andrew Dana Hudson who were the story reviewers, and we uh, we went through about is they split up the thousand between the three of us so we each read around 300 400 stories and narrowed those down to our top 40 read each other's top 40 narrowed mm -hmm. that down to a collective top 40 and then negotiated it down to a top 20 that got passed on to the judges um so it was a really intense and we only had a couple of months to do this wow so it was a really intense um you know, time, uh, very, you know, <laughs> just, just reading all the time, just no time for anything else. Uh, but it was really fun. Uh, even the stories that, you know, didn't, didn't make it up to the top. There were some really good ones that I, I think are going to show up in all kinds of other, um, other locations. I really hope they do. If anyone's listening to this and you submitted to the, uh, the Imagine 2200 and you didn't get accepted 
submit it elsewhere because I read some really good stories that I would be devastated if I never see them mm-hmm. published again. Um, yeah, and we we open for our issue one on uh, November first. So send, yes. So send them our way. Yeah. Definitely. And even a lot of the stories that weren't really stories, like there were a lot of them that were just kind of essays, like fictional fictional future history essays, <laughs> they were still full of really interesting ideas. You know, and it was nice. people thinking about thinking about these things in a new way. It's very cool. Awesome. Well, great. I think that is uh, all we have. Um, We are really, really glad that you were able to join us today and really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And just as like a parting thought, I want to say like Mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges with writing solar punk, especially as near future science fiction, is that the future often gets here a lot faster than we expect. Mm -hmm. So keep up with what's happening in the real world, both technology and politics and then keep writing those better futures into existence absolutely thank you so much serena it was a real pleasure getting to speak with you today thank you yeah thanks have a great one you too okay next on our show we're going to hear a story that is going to be read to us by our co-host here brianna castagnazi this is a story that is about two communities, two solar punk communities in the future that have different ideas about what it means to be and live in a utopia. Um, So it's an interesting sort of comparison and juxtaposition uh, from two different perspectives. So the story is called Caught Root. It was written by Julia K. Pratt, and it first appeared in the Glass and Gardens Solar Punk Summers Anthology that was edited by Serena Ulibari. We've talked about it on the show a bit today. Um, So uh, let's go listen to that right now. Once again, this is Caught Root by Julia K. Pratt. I arrive at the gates of the New Earth settlement just after dawn. It is so different from my home in Hillside, some 300 miles away. Where Hillside's shining towers reach for the blue sky, New Earth seems born from the very rock all adobe and stucco and low-sitting buildings. Here and there, I can see where green relieves the brown, and this is the only similarity between the two. The wide-eyed guard, only a teenager, scuttles away when I try to speak to him. Will they let me in at all? I told Arthur this was a fool's errand, that Newer and Hillside would never trust one another. But you don't say no to Arthur, especially when an idea is taken hold. Finally, a woman appears. She introduces herself as Sophia. Am I lost? Injured? No, ma'am, I explain. I represent the Hillside Project. We wrote two months ago asking to meet Dr. Kadir for an exchange of ideas. Sophia studies me, considering. Eventually, she nods and enters the code that opens the gate. Not all low-tech, I see. You can go in, Sophia says the rest of the complex smells like water and fresh turned earth it's designed to cool passively and entering it is like walking into a cave the air chill damp shade plants ferns hostas bleeding hearts line the walls skylights drop sunbeams throughout kadir stands at his desk reading a report on paper of all things and frowning he's a tall man olive-skinned with a scattering of ivy, twigs, and flowers in his curly hair. 
He brushes them off self-consciously when he sees me looking. The children, sometimes, he offers by way of explanation. You must be Dr. Orkney. Ewan is fine, I say. I stoop to examine the discarded blossoms, most of them dark purple. These are lovely. A newer varietal. We need more dry season plants, especially edibles. He covers them with a the paper so I can't study them further. Such distrust. I should be pleased they allowed me in at all. Somehow, I meant to change this, much as I insisted, at length, that I'm a scientist, not a diplomat. I clear my throat. To that end, I say, awkward, these are for you. I drop a packet of seeds into his palm. He plucks one out to study, his movements delicate. This is a man accustomed to handling the smallest tendrils of life without bruising them. Are these... pears? They'll bear fruit in the second year. We've crossed them with an Asian near-arid to boost their water efficiency, I say. I can't help adding, they're my own work. Kadir regards me, amused. And we can keep working with these seeds? They won't require a second visit or your permission for replanting? We're giving them freely, I say, trying not to let my offense show. We're not some hard-hearted corporation, Dr. Kadir, just because we're well-funded. We have the same goal as newer, to reimagine civilization. Surely we can help one another. Exchange ideas freely? Call me body, especially when you appeal to my humanist sensibilities, he smiles. Come, let me show you around. The more I see of Newer, the more I understand it is both like and completely unlike Hillside. They use the same conical structures for multi-layered planting that we do, but their base materials are reclaimed and reused metals, whereas ours are recycled, unblemished, new-looking. They live in the same circular configuration we do, concentric rings interspersed with lush gardens and communal spaces each section self-sustaining and yet part of the greater whole. Nothing goes to waste at either settlement, but here they use less to begin with. No need for extra tech. Kadir doesn't object when he sees me taking notes, even sketching portions of their water purification system made from porous clay. He flinches, however, whenever I pause to examine a leaf or bud or gently turn a still green tomato on its stem. You'll have to forgive him. Sophia, his sister, I learn, tells me at the communal dinner. The whole settlement gathers at the center of the complex, passing dishes around several tables and talking, laughing, sharing at the end of the day, and enjoying the cooling air of the desert. He's protective of this place. I think of Arthur and Hillside, his passion for the community and the technology, his determination, his willingness to hear any idea from anyone. I understand... We're not so different, you know. Aesthetically, we might appear to be opposites, but we share the same goals. Not entirely, Kadir corrects me from across the table. Hillside doesn't care about searching our past for solutions. It's all new, new, new. The shinier, the better. His smile eases the criticism, but I can see in his eyes that he means what he says. Body, Sophia chastises him. Don't be rude. I wave her off. It's fine. 
It's true that hillsiders aren't overly burdened by sentimentality, but we do incorporate lessons and methods from every culture. Tiered planting like you do, for example. But you still rely heavily on automation, even if it is solar-powered, Kadir counters. He gesticulates with his fork, a piece of sweet potato speared on the end. There's no connection between the work and the workers. He'll take us right back to a divided labor force, alienated from the meaning of the task. I gesture back with a hunk of naan. Automation means our workers can choose their tasks more freely, can devote more time to study, creativity. They're invested in bettering their society through innovation. What is this measure of better? Kadir starts to reply. Gentlemen, Safaya interrupts. While we certainly don't object to intellectual discussion at the dinner table, perhaps you should save your debating prowess for another menu. We'll sell tickets. Everyone around us laughs. Kadir subsides, offering me a sheepish smile, which I return. This, too, is like Hillside, where conversation stretches long into the night, only to be resumed, unabated, the next morning. A proposition, then, I say. I will stay and work with you all for the next three weeks, and if I survive, more laughter here, you will send an emissary to Hillside to live among us, too. It's quiet for a moment, thoughtfully so, and I begin to fear I've overstepped. Sophia's eyes twinkle, catching the illumination from the solar lamps that light the complex. Their once faint blue glows more powerfully as the night settles around us. Kadir extends his hand across the table to me. It's a deal. The first week, I work on the maintenance crew. We replace the terracotta tile roofing on the exterior ring of the complex. A recent storm has damaged the tiles. It's sweaty work in the sun, even in the morning. Kadir surely thought this would deter me, but it doesn't. Where Hillside is climate-controlled, newer adapts to the seasons, shifting work schedules with the demands of summer and winter. We spend the hot afternoons resting in the shade and in quiet contemplation. The children bring us water and flowers, the purple blooms from the day before. Where do these grow? I ask on the third day. They lead me to a garden tower ringed with the same plants. The others don't have them yet, so they're clearly experimental. Maybe a deterrent for pests? Kadir said they were edible, but I'm not sure which part. Petals are bitter when I taste them, the children laugh. We eat the leaves, one girl tells me, and the shoots. It's tempting to take samples, even a complete specimen, but instead I rejoin the crew. At dinner every night, Kadir and I resume our debates, much to the amusement of the others. I sleep well that week, deep and dreamless. The second week, they place me with the school. This is happier work than replacing tiles, although no less exhausting. The children's lessons roll continuous from one subject to another, uninhibited by rigid structures. If a question demands one explain algebra or chemistry or Chaucer, we discuss algebra or chemistry or Chaucer. Nothing in the settlement is off-limits, either, and the children visit the water purifiers and the gardens and the chicken coops at will. It is apparently tradition for the teachers to end up with flowers and leaves in their hair. I am no exception. Kadir teases me at dinner one night. 
Despite my spaceman clothes, as he calls them, the standard issue jumpsuits we wear at Hillside, I am starting to look like I belong at Newer. At the end of the week, I find the trestle with the purple flowers ringing it again. Although I feel a pang of shame, I uproot one plant and carry it away with me. Only for examination, I tell myself, but really, I feel the need to bring something of this place back to Arthur and the others. The third week, I find myself on kitchen duty. More surprising, however, is the sight of Kadir waiting for me on Monday morning, his apron already dusty with flour. Everyone takes part in everything, he explains. No one is too important for any work. I think of Arthur mending water silos or giving immunizations to toddlers. I think you would get along better at Hillside than you imagine. Perhaps I will see it one day. Kadir smiles and returns to kneading dough, slapping it against the countertop. We spend the week in lively conversation, debating the merits of hydroelectrics in this climate, the natural airflow of the buildings in Hillside versus Newer, the cultivation of interbred varietals as opposed to the preservation of heirlooms. Several times, I see the other cooks rolling their eyes and sighing. We're boring them, I tell Kadir. They hear it all too often, I'm afraid, he confesses. It's nice to have someone here who is still passionate about such things. He looks away. Something tightens in my chest. I almost blurt out the truth about the plan I took, but our conversation turns to other topics. After dinner, on my last Friday in Newer, we walk under the stars. Kadir shows me the night-blooming lilies. Their color reminds me of the bioluminescent lanterns at Hillside, which I try to describe to him and fail. Midway through, he leans down and kisses me, once and then twice more. We stumble back to my quarters, entirely too impatient, fumbling under each other's clothes. I push him onto my bed, and he tumbles, boneless and smiling, looking up at me. Come to Hillside with me, I want to say. We wake up curled together. The dawn fills the corners of my room, the skylight above my desk illuminating everything, including that small cluster of leaves and buds. How could he miss the purple flowers he knows so well tucked among my books? He doesn't even look angry, just blank. Ah, he says. I see. Sophia sees me off. She has been appointed emissary to Hillside, she tells me. She will depart at the end of the summer. We'll look forward to your arrival, I say, sincere. I hope you'll find it as pleasant as I have your home. She kisses my cheeks in farewell, hesitates. My brother. I haven't seen Kadir since that morning. I shake my head. It was my fault. It's a two-mile walk to the hovercraft station and my trip back to Hillside. The day is still cool. The hills are pink and green with vegetation. I spare a look back at Newer, the plants looming among the stucco and terracotta. Arthur will understand my regret, despite our success. At first, I think the figure approaching me is an illusion, summoned by my heartache and the strengthening sun. But it's him, Kadir, carrying the plant in a small translucent capsule. I left this behind, he pants when he reaches me. Why? I shake my head. Body, I'm sorry, truly. It was wrong of me. 
He presses the pod into my palms, covering both with his hands. The greens aren't quite right, too bitter. And they don't keep long. There's still work to do. The truth is, he continues, we need another talented botanist, someone willing to experiment, debate merits, that kind of thing. Know anyone? His eyes are earnest, searching mine. Stay with me, he doesn't say. There are, I see, flowers and leaves and twigs in his hair again. I reach to pluck one out with my free hand, caress his cheek. Yes, I believe I do. listening to the solar punk futures podcast a production of android press brought to you by solar punk magazine to hear more episodes or learn more about solar punk magazine visit www.solarpunkmagazine.com